Okay, so we're we're going through a prolonged study on the joy of fellowship in preparation of diving into 1 John because there are certain things that I think that we need to first get established before we plow into 1 John because I believe that the theme of 1 John is our fellowship uh, with the Father and with the Son and there's just so much out there that seeks to disrupt or steal away this fellowship from us and so um, that's why I'm doing such an in-depth study and um, we probably have two more maybe two more studies to go through maybe not but um, we've been studying how we may experience and know the fullness of joy by our fellowship with the Father by examining certain aspects of our Lord and Savior's life. I quoted 1 Peter 2.21 uh, last week, For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps. And that's what we're looking at. We're looking at the example of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and um, his fellowship with the Father. We want to see some things about uh, the uh, Jesus uh, and his uh, fellowship with the Father. And we want to follow in his steps uh, because he had such a close uh, uh, fellowship with his Father, a close relationship with his Father. And last week we looked at obedience. Obedience. Um, Jesus was always obedient to the will of a fa- to the will of his Father, and his obedience to the Father's will brought great joy to the Lord. And uh, because it, because when we obey the Father, we abide in His love. Uh, when we obey the Father, we abide in His love. And when we follow the Lord Jesus Christ's example in being obedient to uh, to the to uh, to the commandments, which are not grievous, then we learn uh, to how to we learn about this abiding in the Father's love. And this abiding in the Father's love is where our joy is made full. Now, in contrast to this. I talked about when we were disobedient. So what happens when a child of God is disobedient? What does the father do? He disciplines or he chastens them, right? And so we kind of looked at that. And even though the father still loves us, his love never changes for us. Uh, we're, not, we're not really abiding in his love, are we? We're, we're abiding under his chastening. And according to Hebrews chapter 12, it is the chastening that is grievous. It's the chastening that is grievous, and it's not so much um, the obedience to his commands that are grievous. So what I want to do is I want to look at the next um, aspect uh, from our Lord's example uh, that was a source of joy to the Lord, and also is a source of joy to us. And so on your worksheet, if you happen to have your worksheet, your study guide, I think we're in B, and that word would be acceptance. Acceptance. And uh, that's what I want to talk about. That's what I want to talk about. Uh, One of my uh, favorite passages or verses in the Bible is Ephesians 1.6. And it says, To the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He hath made us accepted in the Beloved. That is a great truth. What a blessing that is. Um, The knowledge and assurance that comes from being accepted by another, I believe is key to experiencing joy in any relationship. 
in any relationship. Um, one of the fundamental needs that we human beings have is to know that we are accepted by others. Am I right or am I wrong? Yeah. Even in junior high, you know, we want to be accepted by our peers. And that, that just goes all the way up. All the way up. Uh, this uh, assurance of acceptance is vital to us because it aids in our spiritual well-being, it aids in our mental well-being, it aids in our emotional development. It provides for us validation in that relationship. It gives to us a sense of worth in that relationship, right? It's it's a good thing to know that you're accepted. It's a good thing to know that you're accepted. And this need to love and be loved is essential to any healthy and balanced relationship between two or more individuals. Um, And along with this knowledge of acceptance, um, especially in the light of God our Father, uh, this is a life-changing truth, knowing that we are accepted by God the Father, that God cares for us, that God constantly confirms his love toward us that no matter what we make do what we might say what we might not do uh, we're always always accepted by the father I don't care how rotten you are right you're still a child of God and you're still going to be accepted by him I mean that is just absolutely amazing to think about and everything that occurs to us uh, he you know he, he confirms his love toward us and that no matter what he always has what in mind toward us our ultimate good right our ultimate good come what may Romans 8:28 and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God to them who are the called according to his purpose now, what does all mean? All. Exactly. Exactly. First uh, Peter 5, 7 says, Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. You are, whether you believe it or not, you are the apple of his eye. You are the apple of his eye. Now that is an amazing, amazing truth. Amazing truth. Now these are not what one uh, dis, uh, disconsolate brother of mine, he's, he called these spiritual platitudes. Oh, those are just spiritual platitudes. Well, he wasn't in a very good frame of mind at the time when he said that. And I told him, no, those aren't spiritual platitudes, those are truths. Those are truths that he wrote in this word to assure you that you are his. And he'll never kick you out of his family. You're always accepted. I don't care how rotten you become. You're always accepted in God's household. Now I receive from Brian time to time what's called interactions. I'll get these in my email. And what these interactions are is that, you know, the, when we hand out the gift bags and there's that little white card in there. You know, they're, the, the folks, you know, they fill out the cards. And so Brian will send me a copy of these cards, or it's probably Brianna who does this. But uh, what I read a lot on these cards is the following. 
looking for community and a closer relationship with Jesus. Uh, wanting to have a church family and a close relationship with God. Uh, looking for family and a closer relationship with Jesus. Now, what is the commonality with all of these statements? Yeah. They want to know that they're accepted. They want that assurance that they're welcome. They want that relationship. People are looking for acceptance and love. Something they're not finding in the world. Maybe, sadly, something they're not finding in a church they belong to. But these folks are looking for acceptance and they're looking for love. Not a whole lot different than you and I. Not a whole lot different than you and I. The word accepted here in Ephesians 1.6 comes from the Greek word charis that is also translated as grace. Grace is the, is, the, is the root word of this word accepted. By God's grace, we're all accepted. We're all accepted. And the word accepted is also translated in Luke one twenty eight as highly favored. Highly favored. In Luke one twenty eight, And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail thou that art highly favored. Accepted. That's you and me. In the eyes of God, we are highly favored. Highly favored. You know, if there's not a sense of being accepted in any relationship, whether between friends or married couples, children with their parents, or parents concerning their children, even members among one's own church family, if you don't have that sense of acceptance, that sense of belonging, that sense of, of being loved, that's going to prove very detrimental to your relationship with others, in your marriage, with your kids, with your church family. And quite frankly, love and grace will not be permitted to flourish in that relationship, and there will be no joy. There will be no joy in that relationship. If there is not a knowing that, yes, I'm accepted, there will be no joy. There will be no joy. We must come to know that we are indeed accepted. We are accepted by the Father. And by this knowledge, we are assured of God's care, His mercy, His working in our lives, His grace. Don't let anybody tell you that you're not accepted. Because you are. I don't care at what level, and we like to do that, don't we? Well, I'm at this level of spiritual growth, or my mom at this... No, you're accepted. I don't care whether you're a babe or an old fogey in the Lord. You're accepted. So, looking to Jesus Christ as our example, according to 1 Peter 2.21, if you desire to know the joy of fellowship with the Father, then look to the Son. Now, I'm going to ask a question. Do you think Jesus was accepted by the Father? Do you? You better believe he was. Matthew 3.17 And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Yeah, you bet. 
Jesus Christ was accepted by the Father. So on your, on your blank there, Jesus was never in any doubt of his Father's acceptance of him. And I'd even go as far as to say, Beloved, never be of any doubt of your Father's acceptance of you. I don't care where you're at in your walk. I don't care where you're at in your walk. We are as accepted in the Beloved as the Beloved is accepted with the Father. That is an amazing truth. That is an amazing truth. Now I think if we are honest, I think there are times that we may that we may feel abandoned. I know I have a few times. You feel as though you're 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 all alone. Right? I've I've felt that way a few times. Well let me tell you something, you're in good company. You're in good company. Um, remember Jesus in the garden when he was being arrested? And how his disciples formed a, a, a circle around him and fought off the... No, what did they do? They ran. Just like he said they would. He ran. And even the Apostle Paul, that stalwart of the faith, he, even, he was even abandoned. 2 Timothy 4.16, he says, At my first answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. And then he says, I pray God that it may not be let, led, laid to their charge. What a man of grace he is, or was. Then he says in verse 17, 17 Notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. Yeah, your wife or your husband may abandon you, your friends may abandon you, your church may abandon you, but he will never never abandon you never abandon you he'll he'll never leave you an orphan in this world you belong to him you belong to him and you can be assured that you are accepted and wanted by the Lord you can be assured of that as one old time Puritan preacher stated it As the iron is in the fire and the fire is in the iron, likewise in the spiritual realm, Christ is the sphere of the believer's position before the Father. Christ encompasses, surrounds, encloses, and indwells the believer. The believer is in Christ and Christ is in the believer and both are accepted by the Father as one. If that doesn't curl your toes, I don't know what does. That's an amazing truth. That's an amazing assurance. You know, Jesus pretty much said the very same thing as this Puritan. In fact, that's where the Puritan got it. He got it from what Jesus said. In John 17, 21-23, he says, That they all may be one, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. And the glory which thou gavest me, I have given them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. Now let that sink in, folks. 
Jesus Christ, uh, the Father loves us as much as he loves Jesus Christ. Because we are in Christ. That's amazing. That is amazing. Consider another passage concerning Jesus' acceptance. In John chapter 11, verses 41 to 42, he says, This is at uh, Lazarus' tomb. Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me, and I knew that thou hearest me always. But because of the people which stand by, I said it, that they may believe that thou hast sent me. Did you hear what he said? He says, And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me, and I knew that thou hearest me always. We've got that very same assurance. 1 John chapter 5, verse 14 through 15, and this is the confidence that we have in him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And if we know that he hear us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. Like a good father, his ear is always open to his children. Always open to his children. I don't know about you, but there's been times in my life where it was like heaven was made of brass. And I kind of wondered if my prayers were even reaching God's ears. But that was on me. That was on me. Because the Word of God tells me that God's ear is always open to His children. Always open. Why? Because we are accepted in the Beloved. We are accepted in the Beloved. So on your worksheet... I'm going to get into some um, doctrine. On your worksheet, it may be said that the only moment when this fellowship was broken is when Jesus voluntarily, that would be your blank, voluntarily offered himself as the Lamb of God to take away the sin of the world on the cross and bore the sin of all humanity to make an atonement for mankind. Okay, so voluntarily atonement. Habakkuk 1.13. Diane, we should have named one of our sons Habakkuk. What if you had to yell? No. Huh? What if you had to yell at Habakkuk! <laughs> Habakkuk 1.13. Thou art of pure eyes than to behold evil, and canst not look on iniquity. Wherefore lookst thou upon them that deal treacherously and holdest thy tongue when the wicked devoureth the man that is more righteous than he? So it was at that moment on the cross, remember what Jesus said? My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? What happened? What happened? Well, Paul tells us what happened. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. It was at that moment that Jesus took upon him the sin of the world. And God couldn't look upon sin being of pure eyes. Jesus did that for you and me 
And he did that for every person on this planet. Now here I'm going to get into some false teaching. Not from me, (laughs) but taught by others. Okay? Uh, The blasphemous, blasphemous Gnostics teach that Jesus took on the nature of Satan. And that the Christ left Jesus on the cross, the Spirit of Christ left Jesus on the cross, and Jesus took on the nature of Satan and became a lost man on the cross. That's the false teaching of the Gnostics. Okay? Um, And I'm going to talk about that. But I'm going to say this. Even when Jesus Christ willingly offered himself as our atonement, the Father's love for his Son never wavered, never changed. It remained the same. It remained the same. Never changed. It was always the same. He did not abandon his Son like the Gnostics teach. Okay? The Gnostic teachers, and and I'm going to name them the Word of Faith teachers, these Antichrists teach the following blasphemy that they're guilty of what uh, John says in 1 John 4, 3, and every spirit that confesses not that Jesus has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof you have heard that it should come, and even now already is it in the world. So this is what these Antichrists, these Word of Faith movement folks teach. Uh, and I'll give you a summary. They, they teach this, to redeem humanity... Jesus died spiritually as well as physically and was given the nature of Satan. Jesus' death on the cross and his shed blood did not atone for our sins. The atonement took place in hell through the devil's torturing of Jesus' spirit for three days and three nights. However, Satan took Jesus illegally to hell because Jesus had never sinned. This technicality of Jesus being sinless enabled God to use his force of faith to revive Jesus' spirit, restore Jesus' divine nature, and resurrect Jesus' body. Through the resurrection process, Jesus became a born-again man, the first born-again man on earth. That's the blasphemy taught by the Kenneth Copelands and the Womacks and the, what's the gal's name? Joyce Meyer. That's what these folks teach. That's what these folks, folks teach. And they've duped millions all across this planet. They've duped millions. They teach that before the fall, humans had the potential to call all things into existence by the use of faith, of this faith force. There, there is where you get your title, Word of Faith Movement. They teach that this faith, that's hard to say, faith force 
has laws that supposedly govern this faith force and these laws operate independently of God's sovereignty and that even God himself is subject to these laws of this faith force okay you see where this is going all right after the fall humans took on Satan's nature and lost the ability to call things into existence in order to correct this situation Jesus Christ gave up his divinity became a man died spiritually like a lost man took Satan's nature upon himself went to hell was born again like a saved man and rose from the dead with God's nature after this, Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to replicate the incarnation believers so they could become little gods, just as God had originally intended. Now, where have we heard that before? What did the devil say to Eve? Ye shall be like gods. That's where, that's where this whole thing originates from. Now man is elevated to godlike status. And now man has the ability to speak into existence by this force of faith that Jesus Christ has restored in our lives. Do not give this blasphemous swill a moment. Not a moment. Not a moment. I mean, to even credit Satan in playing a part in our atonement. Where does that come from? Straight from the pit of hell. Don't even give him a moment. But yet, there are people in this church that watch and listen and read these folks' books. Don't do it. Don't give them the time. Don't give them the time, folks. Jesus did not enter hell as a defeated lost man, needing to be born again. He entered hell like a conqueror. He was a conqueror. Ephesians 4, uh, 4 verses 8 through 10. Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now that he ascended, what is it? But that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth. He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. Yes, ma'am. This is just one of those phrases that you hear, and I honestly am not sure if it's biblical or not, where they say that Jesus went to hell, went to, descended to hell and took the keys to that. Is that? Yeah, that's biblical. That's biblical. Yep. No, that's biblical. In fact, I'm going I'm to talk about that. So on your uh, study guide... Uh, even in this awful moment, the Lord Jesus Christ was obedient to the will of the Father in the offering of, of himself as our atonement and the propitiation of our sin. That was, that was the whole reason why he came. I shouldn't say the whole reason, but that was one of the primary reasons why he came. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 5 through 10 
says, Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering, now what is not, but a, body, but a body hast thou prepared me, and burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, thou hast had no pleasure. Then said I, Lo, I come in the volume of the book, it is written of me, to do thy will, O God. Above, when he said, Sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings and offering for sin, thou wouldest not, neither hadst pleasure therein, which are offered by the law. Then, he, then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, that he may establish a second, by the which will he, we are sanctified to the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Okay, so he came to fulfill the will of the Father. So on your study guide, for a brief awful moment, fellowship was cut off. Daniel 9.26 between the Son and the Father so that you and I would be forever accepted is the next blank by the Father because of the grace shown to us in His Son what His Son done for us on the cross so cut off and forever accepted but at no time as these blasphemers and antichrists preach did the Spirit of Christ ever leave okay ever leave the human Jesus on the cross in order for Satan to torture him. 1 Peter 3.18 says, For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit, by which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison. Now there's a lot there to be unpacked. I don't have the time to do that right now. But... um, At one time, there were two compartments of uh, the dead. There was Sheol, and it was made up of two compartments. One compartment is where the saved of the Old Testament, the righteous of the Old Testament went. The other compartment is where the unrighteous, the wicked went. Okay? Um... Where do you get that? Where do you find that? Well, Jesus himself taught it. Luke 16:22. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried and in hell he lifted up his eyes being in torments and seeth Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. So you see the picture here? You have Lazarus in Abraham's bosom, and then you have the rich man in torment. All of this is included in what is known in the Old Testament as the grave or Sheol or hell. Then Abraham says, um, verse 25, Luke 16, But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. And he says, And beside all this between us and you there is a great gulf fixed, so that which so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they t- pass to us that would come from hence. So there is this great gulf between these two 
places. As the lifeless body of Jesus laid in the tomb, the Spirit of Christ went down to this Sheol, proclaimed victory over sin and death, emptied Abraham's bosom of all the righteous souls, led captivity captive with him into heaven. So now this part is empty. But this part is still being filled up. And one day this part will stand before the great white throne. Also, when he went down to lead captivity captive... Revelations 1.18 I am he that liveth and was dead and behold I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and death. Now I don't know but I picture in my mind in my imagination I'm not going to be dogmatic on this but I'm picturing the conquering Jesus Christ walking up to the devil and grabbing those keys right out of his hand and saying these no longer belong to you I don't know if that's the way it went but it would be kind of neat to think that way so now he has in his hands the keys of hell and death yes ma'am no no um, Augustine's the one that came up with that because um you know, first of all, their whole idea of salvation is based on works. And so they had this uh, thing in mind about, um, well, what if you're not good enough to get into heaven, but yet bad enough to go to hell? And that's when he came up with this idea. And so you spend X number of millions of years and where your sins are burned away, and then after you've gone through this purging process... Uh, then you're allowed to go into heaven. But that's where that came from. But that's all based on their salvation by works. And that's the, that's the cliff notes on that. Um, any heartburn on anything that I've said so far? all the people that run through my mind. Yeah. 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 That's why it's so urgent for us to get that message out there. Yep. But, uh, okay. So anyway, where was I going with all this? So those of us who have received Christ by faith as Savior, we are forever accepted in the Beloved. Okay, we don't have to fear this. I don't care how rotten you are. And I know there's a lot of people who get upset with this. But if you are a genuine, born-again child of God, you are always a child of God. Always a child of God. And Jesus Christ took that sin. 
Hebrews 2.14 For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil. He took those keys and delivered them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For verily he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. So, on your study guide. The believer is in Christ, and Christ is in the believer. And being thus co-joined, is the word, as the branch is in the vine... The Father sees the redeemed, that's your blank, in Christ as a living part of his own Son and loves that saved one, is your blank, as he loves his own Son. Now, if God loves us as much as he loves his own Son, does that mean he's going to kick us out? Because if he's going to kick us out, then guess who else he's going to have to kick out? Yeah. Yeah. John 14.21 says he that hath my commandments and keepeth them he it is that loveth me and he that loveth me shall be loved of my father and I will love him and will manifest myself to him so one of the aspects of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who is our example is that as he is accepted so also we are and that should bring joy to your heart that should bring joy to your heart that should bring assurance to your heart and that should motivate us to want a fellowship with this kind of father don't you think so? I think so Okay, do I have time to go through the next one? probably not Okay. 20 minutes the next one is victory Okay, so this kind of ties in with acceptance. This kind of ties in with the, what we just went through as far as these two compartments. So on your blank, uh, on your study guide, would be the word victory. Victory. Luke 10.22. First of all, any question or comments on what we just covered? Did everybody get their blanks filled? Yes. Yes, ma'am. What was the one Uh, the believer is in Christ and Christ is in the believer for a brief off a moment oh cut off Daniel 9.12 cut off and the father so that you and I would be forever accepted sorry I missed that no no it's okay Okay, I may not get to the next point. The next one is a co-joined, redeemed, saved one. Co-joined? Co-joined. Joined? Joined. Joined. Okay. All right? All right, so victory. Diane is the next blank. All right. (laughs) 
So uh, Luke 10.22, we'll see how far we get. All things are delivered to me of my Father, and no man knoweth who the Son is but the Father, and who the Father is but the Son, and to whom the Son will reveal him. Matthew 28.18 And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. John 3.35 The Father loveth the Son and hath given all things into his hand. Hebrews 1.2 Hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. And then one more, 1 Corinthians 15.24-28 I don't know if that's, those references are on your... Okay. Then cometh the end, when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and all authority and power, for he must reign till he hath put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death, for he hath put all things under his feet. But when he saith all things are put under him, it is manifest that he is accepted, which did put all things under him. And when all things shall be subdued unto him, then shall the Son also himself be subject unto him that put all things under him, that God may be all in all. So according to the Bible, all things have been given to the Son by the Father. All things are now under Him. He is now the what? King of kings and Lord of lords. Alright? All things have been put under Him. So we're going to talk about His victory. So on your study guide, Jesus came to win a victory. It was a two-part campaign. Did you get that, Diane? Okay. All right, so it's a two-part campaign. I'm sorry, dear. I don't mean to be picking on you. All right. All right. All right. So number one, this two-part campaign. Number one, it was a. It was first a spiritual victory. Spiritual victory. Let me read some passages here. 1 John 3.8 He that committed sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning for this purpose. The Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Hebrews 2.14-15 I read this earlier. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. So he, he is victorious over the devil. He's victorious over death. 1 Corinthians 15, 54-57, I also read this, So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? Or grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which give us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So his victory is whose victory? Our victory. Our victory. So on your worksheet, the spiritual victory was the more critical victory, critical victory, to be won in order for man to be able to enter the kingdom of God. That's why I read all those passages. John 3, 3, Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So it's a spiritual victory. 
Okay, spiritual victory. So on your study guide, the Father met the greatest need of man first. Greatest need is the blank of man first and the first coming of Jesus Christ. For without this victory, there is no hope. Without this victory, there is no hope. That's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, 14. And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain, and your faith is also vain. If Jesus Christ had not won this spiritual victory over death and the, and, and the grave, sin and hell and the devil, if his body still in the, in the ground, folks, then why are we here? We really have no good reason to be here. Really don't. So it's a spiritual victory. Number two, it will be a literal physical victory. It will be a literal physical victory. On your worksheet, A, the Antichrist is the blank and his allies. He's going to win a victory over those jokers, uh, those individuals. I don't mean to be, I don't, I don't mean to be that way. Revelations 19, 19 to 21, and I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army. And the beast was taken, and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him, with which he deceived them that had deceived the mark of the beast. And then that worshipped his image, these both were cast alive into a lake of fire burning with brimstone. And the remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse, which sword proceeded out of his mouth, and all the fowls were filled with it, with their flesh guess what we're going to see that we're going to see that we're going to be there we're going to be there I'm looking forward to that I really am I'm looking looking forward to it not, not because of the carnage and everything but knowing that Jesus Christ is going to win that victory over all those enemies that oppose him at that time what's going to happen after that he's going to establish his uh, millennial kingdom of thousand years right so there's going to be a thousand year reign uh, then of course there's going to be a one final rebellion uh, toward the end of the millennial kingdom and he'll even put that down he'll even put that down and the one who will lead that final rebellion is you know who Satan who has been chained up for a thousand years but he's going to be released, he's going to have another rebellion, and he's going to put that one down. So on your worksheet, the blank is Satan. Satan. Revelations 27 through um, 10, And when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be tossed out of, loosed out of his prison, and shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle. The number of whom is as the sand of the sea, which I find absolutely amazing that at the end of the thousand year reign of Christ's righteousness, and they're still going to have people rebel, but that's the sin of mankind. That's just the way he is. And they went up on the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about, and the beloved city and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. And this is what I'm looking forward to. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. So the one who caused all of the 
pain and death and grief and torment and doubt the one who caused all of this trouble will be finally dealt with what a glorious day that's going to be what a glorious day that's going to be okay I'm going to stop right there and um, the joy set before him is what we'll pick up not next Sunday but the Sunday after so any questions, comments, rebukes, or rebuttals? All right. Let's go ahead and have a word of prayer then, and then we'll get ready for our uh, next service. And uh, Mitchell, can I pick on you? Dear God, we just trust in you. We believe in you. We trust in your word. We believe in your word.